been a few weeks. Uh, welcome to another episode of Absolute Abseg. This is episode number seven, 73 with Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter with my co joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, apparently, Ken's forgotten his script oh, after a couple God. of weeks. I know. We, I we, we didn't start with, and we're live, and I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. know what's going on. Kevin, you may want to skip listening Man. to this episode, right? Like, so we're joined this week by Kevin, the, the one and only Kevin Cody. Um, we're excited to have him back to talk cores and mobile and all the things. 12.4, you know, the, the jailbreak and the reason that I'm keeping all of my, my devices in my house on 12.4. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Welcome back. It's been a couple weeks again. We had some personal stuff going on the last couple weeks. It seems we're on yeah, every it's my other fault. week. Eh, it's fine. We're on like an every other week cadence right now, but I'm sure we'll pick it back up. Um, I mean, we'll be we'll be around next week as well, but I think we'll, I, I don't know if we'll do an episode from Australia or not. I guess it depends on how ambitious we're feeling that week, Ken. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know what? We may. We may. I mean, I know we land there. It's going to be weird because we land there on a Tuesday their time, but it's still Monday here on our time. And like, it's this weird back to the future. How does time work type deal? I don't even know. So would it be a Wednesday? I guess. it. Yeah. So it would be a Wednesday Australia time. It'd be, I don't know. It'd be weird, but we might, we may do it, whatever. So, yeah. but yeah, sorry. It was my fault. We, we, we couldn't make it last week. Like Seth said, I had some stuff going on. So. Anyways, all good. Medical stuff. Everything's good now. So we're back this week. Sorry, I botched that intro. I was, uh, it's been, a, I hadn't slept much last week. So it's been a, uh, that's, I'm pretty brain dead at this point. But um, yeah, like I was just going to say, uh, we, before we, what's that? It, it's fine. You know, I'm on the road. Kevin's on the road. It, it's, yeah, you two are from hotel rooms. Yeah. Yep. Do you want a beautiful tour of, you know, the, the Hampton <laughs> yes. Inn and, and undisclosed, undisclosed location. I'm also oh, in Hampton yeah. Inn, undisclosed Hampton location. Inn. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure this I have podcast a couch over there as well. The same yes. generic corporate art. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. That's that's hilarious. Yeah. So Kevin's in, Kevin's in Detroit. Seth is in an undisclosed location somewhere in Gitmo. I don't know where he's at, but <laughs> somewhere. I guess they have Hampton Inns there. Yeah. So it's good. To, it's good to be back. It's good to have. I mean, we were in the middle of a conversation when um when uh I was just like, you know, let's just continue that conversation. So we we're just talking about like if you're running a booth, if you've ever ever had the pleasure of being a uh like a vendor a booth, and a booth babe, Kevin. <laughs> oh, we, we don't want to go down that road. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's hot potatoes. Yeah, it's hot potatoes. But uh, but yeah, so you were saying like uh, lock picking. Um, and because we were talking about the fact like when uh, Kevin and I finally got to meet in person, like most good app sex slash security relationships, it all started online. You know, so when we met in person, it was at Codemash. And then at Codemash, I was, you know, he Kevin was there. He was stopping by the booth chatting and uh, like the uh, the biggest draw, the thing that kept people there was the lock picking, and, and and that came from you. And I had forgotten it when I was telling Seth or uh, Kevin this this uh, story that like that actually was Seth's idea. It just sort of came naturally while he was messing around with some lock picks at a booth. Yeah, yeah. You were was, about to tell us about it. Yeah, it was what PyCon a few years ago. I'm pretty sure that was that. 
I can't remember if that was Montreal or Portland or something like that, you know, wandering in like Thursday night and the company that we were working for had paid for a booth and no one, like the salespeople didn't realize that we had the booth that night and it was open. Right. And all the attendees were walking by. So I sit down, I've got my bag. The only thing in my bag, honestly, was like a set of lock picks and a couple like of the starter sets. And so I just threw them out and I'm like sitting there picking locks cause I'm bored and people started stopping to pick locks. And I'm like teaching how people how to pick locks. And we're talking about, you know, Python and Django security and stuff like that. I'm like, Oh, this is pretty awesome. That's a good way to like developers want to know, right? I like that they're interested in how that actually works. So it's, it's a good way to actually draw people in and it's low pressure as well. Right. Yeah. There's no, like, there's no, there's no time to challenge. You're not competing against somebody. And also one of the things that we had done that I think the iteration that really worked was using clear lock picks where you just like can see inside so you can see the inner workings and see what's going on as you're doing it. It's pretty dope. Yeah. Pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Actually teach people how to, how it works. Someone turned me on to this, these uh, master lock lockout Ooh. and they're made for like circuit breakers or, um, literally to lock things out. Right. And it's, it's a plastic body lock and um, it doesn't even have a spring in the shackle. Like when you unlock it, you have to pull it up. Uh, so it looks really cheap and everything, but it actually has five uh, spool pins and one serrated pin in it. Oh, damn. And it's only like $13 to buy because it's so cheap, wow. but the inside is actually very, very difficult. So if you want to add a, more advanced lock to your kit these master lock lockout ones are actually pretty pretty decent that's awesome good tip good looking out that's yeah amazing. someone someone oh, told me i was like no way i get it like this is the cheapest thing ever and sure enough i haven't been able to pick it yet uh and i, I saw someone do a teardown video of it and uh yeah it's, it's actually uh it, it's pretty legit well yeah five spools plus dang man that's, yeah yeah, yeah. For like thirteen dollars. Yeah, I mean, can you to can you explain for those who are like, what's the spool versus serrated? Like, might as well dig in. We're talking about it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the the basic concept of a, a pin tumbler lock, right? You have two sets of pins. You have your uh, key pins, the ones that are actually keyed to go with the different size key. Those ones that are different sizes. And then you have your, I call them um, shear pins, but I've heard them called other uh, other pins. Whatever it is, you have the pins that are all the same size. And those are the ones that you're trying to get above the shear line. So you push up on the key pins that are all different sizes. And you try to align the shear pins above the shear line. And when they are both aligned, then they turn, right? Well, the idea of these like goofy spool pins and serrated pins and mushroom pins is that if you have different types of pins for these these uh, uh, pins up here, your uh, shear pins, when you push them up, if you are trying to pick the lock, they'll like jam. Basically, they'll get they'll they'll kind of go sideways or they'll they'll do a false set. And once it jams, you know, once once the, the pin goes in a place that you don't want it to go, it's very difficult for it to continue upward towards the shear line to before letting basically the tension back go. They didn't really get into tension and all the other mechanics of lock picking, but that's the basic idea, right? Is that anything outside of a normal cylinder for those shear pins is going to cause some trouble. 
and uh, specifically the, the spool pins and the shear pins usually add like one or two per lock. This is a six pin lock. It's cheap as heck. And every single one of them is a security pin. And that's what makes it hard to pick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if like if anybody's ever dealt with even just like the spool set, like the trainer set, right? You always run into one of those that's super hard to, to like jam up and get into the right spot. And it's because of that, right? It's that whole security feature. Um, whereas like, I mean, the, the normal, just whatever pins that are straight, I, I don't even know what the technical term for them is. It's pretty easy to get those into, into the right set to, to actually pick a lock. So, but anyway, so lock picking on, on absolute AppSec. That's, that's what we're into now. That's what we're into. That's what we're yeah. into. I, I mean, well, I, you know, yeah. I got into it. My, so my, my wife's grandfather, actually owned a hardware store and I inherited all oh, those tools great. when he passed away and uh, I got all of the stuff to repin. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, this is an awesome trade. My friends are buying houses, apartments. It costs, you know, two or 300 bucks to get a locksmith in. I'm going to learn this. This is sweet. But uh, you guys both know me pretty well. I drink a lot of caffeine, like a <laughs> yes, lot of caffeine and, uh, little tiny pins and little tiny springs don't necessarily go well with shaky hands. So uh, I had all the tools. I was ready to go. And then I went to, you know, a con and someone was sitting around picking locks. And I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And they told me like, oh, yeah, it's, it's a puzzle. You're trying to solve the puzzle. You don't have the key to the puzzle, but you're doing, you know, and I'm like, oh, that's, that's really cool. So I went home and I had his like three or four lock picking tools. Right. And that's kind of how I got started. And then then it was just all downhill from there. Now I have hundreds of locks and, and uh, yeah, yeah. I'm actually doing like a, a lock picking road show for work uh, just as kind of a, a um, you know, cybersecurity month uh, team builder for, for our team at work. So that's actually why I'm here. Oh, nice. You're sort of just like, is that so that's so the lock picking and then that's all part of that? Yeah. Yeah. We have like uh you know, lock picking, and then we have diff- you know uh, different uh, events each week for Cybersecurity Month. And uh, like next week, I'm going to be doing a juice shop hacking um, uh, CTF uh, across the company. So, but this 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 last week was was lock picking, and I couldn't quite get to all the offices in one week, so that kind of carried over to this week as well. But uh, like I told you guys, um, I'm not going to complain. My company sending me to different offices to. to people had a lock pick and actually in our slack my ceo someone's like oh i can't believe i work for a company that's teaching me how to pick locks and i saw my ceo reply in the thread he's like yeah either do i I was like oh shit like does that mean he doesn't like this like is this not cool but then he gave me a big smile so oh i gotcha (laughs) wink and a nod that'll work i guess (laughs) have you forgotten caffeine poisoning I'm saying this because I think this might have happened to me recently in Amsterdam. So I'm curious if you had too much caffeine. I don't think so. I don't, what were the effects? Oh, uh, I mean, nausea, like going to the bathrooms, uh, cramps, like, you know, uh, just rate heart, like heart rate going out, you know, off the charts, just like sweaty, but then cold, like just generally all the bad stuff. But then my wife did uh, get sick the next night and like similar stuff. So I, I think maybe it wasn't, I don't know. It's like, you don't know if it's a coincidence or if it's just, yeah. 
kind of sounds like a bad Tuesday to me. So maybe, maybe, maybe every week. I don't know. You know, (laughs) man, that was fun teaching a whole day, a whole course with that going on. Yeah. No, but you, if you drink that much caffeine, I was just curious if that, if that had ever happened to you, but it doesn't sound like it sounds like you've got it under control. (laughs) One time in, (laughs) one time when I was a senior in high school, I tried to do the super troopers move where I chugged the whole bottle of syrup and, uh, uh, you know, like stupid high school party tricks. And yeah, that was, that was, probably the worst <laughs> like sugar shock too like too afraid to have it come out any end you know just like in bed shaking like yeah it was uh that was that was not good don't drink a whole bottle of syrup that's that's, that's a bad idea hey it looks like tim is uh tim is on by the way the fellow you did your cores research and talk with he, he, he tuned in like oh yeah let's talk cores and here he hears me talking about syrup and he's really confused <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just kidding. We're talking lock picking, Tim. Just just for you. Um I can send yeah. him a link. I'm thinking about sending him a link. No. I don't know if you guys well, yeah, I mean, yeah, if anybody's interested in lock picking like tool, the I can't remember what it stands for, but T-O-O-O-L is a great organization that teaches you how locks are actually put together, how to pick locks. And then also the the laws around having lock picking tools because that's kind of important depending on where you're traveling to and where you're trying to teach other people to do it right so not that it yeah <laughs> not that it has a lot to do with appsec right you know or cores or you know mobile security but yeah it is that like physical manifestation of hacking right and that's, i think that's the, the draw of, of people and, and why it's such a uh, fun thing. And then the whole like physical security, uh, you know, lineage and, and that whole thing. So yeah, I, I get why it's a draw and I enjoy it. Yeah, no, no, it's fun. Like, I, I, you know, I, I enjoy like getting a new like lock and then sitting there during conference calls, trying to pick it over and over and over until you, until you get it down so much that it's almost muscle memory. And then you're like, all right, I got to throw that one away. Cause it's no, it's not useful anymore, but exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But I, I mean, there's there's quite a few experts out there in the security space that do like application or network security or vulnerability, you know, whatever, right? Research that are big uh, lock pickers. The whole contest at DEF CON or at any of the B-Sides event nowadays are pretty cool to watch. The guys that can do things and to, can do like multiple locks and, you know, sub five seconds or whatever it is. It's crazy. Yeah, last crit or I don't know if it was last. Might have been last Christmas. I think it was. Chris Gates uh, made for me these. Uh, see these keys? There's like, there's let's see. There's for ones for like one of those cheapy cabinet, like generic cheapy cabinets, and these different. He gave, gave me a printouts of what the keys actually do, like the things they get you into, the common things. Like there's elevator keys. It's just super awesome. Like, and it's from Deviant Allums. Um, from his list and I have a paperwork for it. Yeah. But I guess he's got a huge, like a list of common keys that you can, so you can go and you can use, get the schematic schematics and cut them and then just have a, a key ring like this of generic uh, uh, keys. They get into stuff. So I don't know where to get them. So, so why do you have those again? Like what, what is it that you're trying to do? Don't judge me. Don't be, it's don't be too judgy. Late. Too late. It's, it's, another, it's another tool in the belt. Another you know what? Hold on, though. This was shown at, according to this paperwork, Wild West Hacking Fest. 
Boom. Gotcha, Seth. Uh, wait, 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 what's the one where you're at? Is it not wild west? Nope. Nice try. What is it? What is it? It was hack west. Man, you guys know I have not slept much in like a week, so forgive me. <laughs> That's okay. Let's, let's, let's switch over. Let, let's let's talk about cores. I want to talk about cores because I like I watched the talk from yeah. you and you and Tim, Kevin, um, and and like I mean we should get, we should do more formal introductions because it's been a little while since we've had you on the podcast at Kev Cody. On Twitter, Kevin Cody works for Argus now. Is we we cool to say that? Um, as Ar a, Argo. Argo. Wow. Again, I'm traveling, and I'm I, I may or may not have been a, a bar before we did this. So sorry about that. Argo. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now, and then we'll jump into the cores talk and what you do, what, what the research was that you and Tim dove into. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically. Uh, uh, penetration tester for Argo. Uh, I won't go too much into to, uh, my day-to-day, -day, but what Argo is, it's a um, uh, autonomous vehicle firm. We make uh, sensors and uh, uh, driving units that uh, our goal is to have autonomous you know, fleet vehicles that uh, are, are out there helping the, the greater good. If you're interested in, in autonomy in general, I highly recommend the book, um, Autonomy, the Race for a Driverless Car. It's an awesome book. Um, there's a lot of lineage in my company specifically, but uh, also in Pittsburgh, and you guys know I'm a big hometown fan. Uh, Pittsburgh with, with Carnegie Mellon is is um, kind of the reason we're even um, on the AV map right now, autonomous vehicle map. Uh, you know, we have my company, Argo. We have Uber's uh, Advanced Technology Group. We have Aptiv. We have Aurora um, and, and others all have presence in Pittsburgh because of Carnegie Mellon and the uh, the DARPA um, Grand Challenge and Urban Grand Challenge that kind of started the whole autonomous vehicle literal race, right? It was a literal yeah. race. Well, um, they still do the race, don't they? In the middle of the desert, the the whole uh, challenge, or is it is it no longer a thing? There was two. Back to back, I think it was 2004, 2005, or 2006, and then um, they haven't uh, done it since then. And apparently, I'm like you know 15 years behind. So thanks for then, that. Yeah. Then, then then there was the um, the Urban Grand Challenge, the DARPA Urban Grand Challenge, which was which was the uh, kind of urban branch of that, uh, which was really interesting. And then from there, that's what spawned. Waymo uh, and and um, kind of all the companies that came out of that, including uh, my leadership. And then um, I believe that was the last one. And then the Cyber Grand Challenge was like the next big Grand Challenge, and you guys probably remember that from DefCon a few years ago. Uh, yeah. But I don't. I believe it was just the first two out in the desert, and then the Urban Grand Challenge, each with a you know million plus pot and sponsors and all that, that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. So you're helping secure our our uh, our you know autonomous future basically, right? Making sure yeah. that no one can take over your car when it it's being driven by the AI, right? Uh, basically, right? You know, 
that's that's Kevin. We're gonna we're gonna credit that all to you now. Got it? You're basically protecting us from Skynet, I think yeah. is what you're saying. You're the John Connor of AppSec. All right. I'm going to stand to this one and I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. No, um, I did. I did tell my son that I get to, to ride around with robot cars, right? Like they're robot cars. And uh, the other day he, he, he's five and he kind of found out that like, there's not like Disney world animatronic style droids driving these things. Like they're just computers. And he was totally unimpressed. He was like, wait, there's not actually robots in the cars. I was like, no, buddy. Like, it's just a sensor stack and some computers and drive-by wire. And he was totally bummed. <laughs> yeah. It's still fun. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. it's hard when you demystify technology for the first time. The John Connor. Oh, I love that you quoted that. It's awesome. <laughs> I want to see that in your bio. And... I want uh, some royalties, so also. Yeah, we'll, we'll write a bio for you, Kevin. Okay, <laughs> don't worry about it. It's all good. You know, my mine's getting a little long in the tooth, so I'll, I'll I will be happy to add that. Sweet. Sweet. <laughs> Although, like uh, Charlie Miller and, and Chris Balasek and and the folks over at, at Cruise and Waymo, they've been doing this a little longer than me, so they probably deserve those titles before I do. <laughs> That's all good. No. It's you, Kevin. Yeah, just being an early adopter doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah. But it has, I mean, so the, the, that segue, um, obviously, you guys know I worked with you in, in consulting. And I worked uh, previously at a consulting firm. I worked in, in, in financial before that. Working at a tech company is bananas, it's just wild. Like the engineers, uh, the roboticists, the the um i mean just uh hardware software um you know like a quarter of my company has phds and i mean just like and the things i see every day the problems they're solving just like the weird quirky office things it's just wild every day it's an adventure it's it's a hell of a lot of fun uh it's exactly why i wanted to go over to an embedded role outside of finance uh, that's what my history was and uh yeah it's been it's been a lot of fun good i, I, I mean I, I hope it's challenging still and you know keeping you on your toes i yeah i, I was a little sad that you're not doing like mobile appsec anymore and like oh, who am i going to turn to now but I, i'm pretty <laughs> sure you'll, you'll stay on top of it but right? but then he filled this he filled this in with all this core knowledge course knowledge course knowledge yes yeah yes. so there is this so, yeah, that's that's uh, that's a perfect segue. So, believe it or not, the cores thing actually happened. I don't think I don't think Tim was still working with me. Uh, I think Tim Tim had had moved on, but it was legitimately a year plus in the making before we gave the presentation at the uh, at Derby. Um, we Tim and I gave uh, a similar presentation. I believe it was in March. Uh, at uh, B-Sides Greenville. And we kind of just held on to it, held on to the research, held on to the tooling because we wanted to give it on a big stage. Nothing against Greenville. Greenville's awesome. Greenville's Tim's uh, uh, home, to, or backyard, I should say, uh, his home now. And, uh, but we really wanted to hold on. Uh, you should have heard the things he was saying ahead of, like before the podcast about uh, Greenville. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Um, so, uh, um, but yeah, we wanted to hold on. We wanted it to, to present it on a big stage, uh, which we'll go into to more about like what we did for a demo and why it was really cool to give it in, in, in a bigger place. But um, yeah, so we basically, we, I, uh, I guess just to, to <laughs> say no bad things. Um, so uh, we, um, yeah, the whole, the whole crux, the whole, the whole idea, the whole core thing came from, so you guys obviously know Evan Johnson very well. You've had him on twice, I believe. Um, and so he, he did a lot of work in, in the, the core security area, as well as um, I think David from Portswigger. And there's been some people who've looked at cores uh, over time. And the, the whole idea behind cores, right, is that our browsers have the same origin policy in it. The same origin policy just keeps domain one from doing something bad to domain two, uh, requesting resources and, and, and whatnot. And the idea that we have the same origin policy is really what keeps uh, scripts and things running on pages from just going wild, wild, wild. Like it would just be insane if we didn't have this the same origin policy. And if you're, you're curious about why, um, the same origin policy is just so important. Look back at some of the, the research that Tavis Ormandy has done into like the sandboxing breakouts and some of the different um, Chromium embedded uh, issues with, um, but that was you guys, if you guys laugh. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm laughing because, because I, when I put one of the links up over the video, it's like the face got cut out and he's like trying to like, I'm still here. Sorry, I was listening though. <laughs> No, you're good. You're you good. Made me laugh. I thought you, I thought you laughed. Being silly. Like, I thought maybe Sorry. my mouth was just moving and, and you guys couldn't see it. No, um, this is what happens when we do podcasts late at night. This is why. Yeah, this yeah. is one of the reasons we went to during the day because yeah. it gets just goofy. Yeah. So, um, what I would just say was was uh, a lot of the the really good findings Tavizormity has found uh, were in things like password managers and uh, antivirus and, and different things where they had chromium embedded and they just turned off same origin policy or turned off sandboxing altogether and it just like completely went to shit like immediately right so uh that just kind of tells you the importance of the same origin policy well because we have this thing the same origin policy we need a way to allow different domain subdomains uh, to talk to each other right and the whole idea behind microservices and you know uh, web services in general would not work without a way to allow um you know these these different domains to talk to each other when 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 we want them to and so that's why cores was uh the rfc for cores came out and so now we have this thing called cores and the research that evan did and david and, and of course other people really was around um, some of the, the ways that you can shoot yourself in the foot with cores, uh, with uh, policies that are too open or unsafe defaults and, and things like that. And um, basically uh, what I, I, I found, and then I called up Tim and then we'll go into some more of that, was kind of a novel attack on something that is or should be safe, but no one was talking about yet. And uh, yeah, that was kind of what, what bootstrapped the whole conversation with Tim and uh, why I call him Tim because Tim is good with writing code. He loves writing code. Um, and I told him about the situation or what I thought I saw and I wanted him to tell me I was wrong. Uh, and 
He did tell me I was wrong, but he said, let's talk tomorrow after I figure out why you're wrong. And then we, <laughs> we talked later. And uh, I think his, his comment was, I was wrong. And then we talked through it again. And he realized that, no, it, it was indeed an issue. And within another 24 hours, he had a whole proof of concept, like framework of how we were going to to exploit it using this, this uh, custom tool. And that's basically what became the, the whole course presentation. That's always been one thing about Tim that interested me is that he's like, cause he, cause he is interested in code. He does code a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's like definitely something he's into and does and you know, pretty good at. And it cracks me up because when you, when you talk to him, he's always like, Oh, I hate, you know, it's not really my passion or like, I'm not that good at it. Or, you know, it's always, he's, he's always like, just saying, you know, basically that he's not good at it. He doesn't like to do it. He doesn't, he doesn't do it that much. I'm like, Hey man, we all know the real, the real deal. So Tim, if you're listening, we all know you're a coder. Stop yeah. pretending you're not. It's, it's too late. The cat's out of the bag. No, totally. I, like, like I've been recommending people just go listen to your talk. Like, like the research is super cool, but even just the explanation of, what cores actually is. I don't think enough people really understand the the whole idea that it's a it, it's not a security control. It's an anti-security control. You're actually turning off security when you implement cores. And like the 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 explanation that you and Tim have in that talk is one of the best that I've the best the best that I've seen from just public figures as far as like expressing what it is and how it actually works. And then it goes into why your attack actually works and the exploit and everything else that's associated with it. Um, but th th there's not enough, I don't know. I, I mean, there's just not enough explanations out there because you know, if you look at most, like I think about all the reports that I see from as a security consultant and things like that. And they're like, oh, your cores is misconfigured, but nobody really goes into what cores actually does or why it's misconfigured. They just say, yeah, it's misconfigured. Go, go, go figure that out, right? Yeah. And it's not super helpful as opposed to, you know, I, I, I dig it basically is what I'm saying. And we're, we're fans. So I, I, I totally agree. And, and, and credit where credit to Tim, Tim was the one who, who um, kind of came up with the idea of, at least in our talk of um, approaching it as an anti-security control, like, like just throwing that out there, like same origin policies as security control, yeah. Cores is the shim that allows us to bypass same origin policy when we need to. But the problem is exactly what you just said, Seth, that no one really knows really what even same origin policy is. Like that doesn't even like if you don't see the little uh, error in, in dev tools or you don't have some type of concept of, of, of the same origin policy, like that whole thing is, is opaque. But then when you add on um, cores on top of that, it just, completely goes off the rails really really quickly and and i again credit where credit's due tim was the one who who was like hey man you you definitely found an edge case you definitely found something that's cool and the tool is is going to be neat for a demo but we would really be doing a disservice if we didn't really go into course and he does it in his class uh as well and and we took the opportunity to kind of like customize it for um DerbyCon and I use Hacker Tracker actually as as a, a, a example of like Hacker Tracker wants to talk to DerbyCon's app and they want to uh, post check in 
because Hacker Tracker is your your mobile app and DerbyCon is where the, the tickets are and, and you know kind of use that 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 cross communication as as an example. And um, it's exactly what you said. So just taking that opportunity to talk about course, what pre-flight is, what uh, the the mechanisms are, um, what all of the different headers. There's a ton of headers. Um, and they're really important and they're only exposed in, in, in certain scenarios. Um, and you can get really lost in the weeds. And the, and the other really important thing to remember about cores is it's enforced at the browser. Mm-hmm. Same origin policy is enforced at the browser. So we do a lot of our testing via command line or of course, burp. It doesn't, it, it, same origin policy in cores, does, it's nothing for burp. Like you can do whatever you want. And so there's been times where Tim and I have been deep in conversation. Like why, this isn't even making sense. Like, where did we get here? What are we doing with our lives? And then we realized like, oh, you you can't do it this way. Like that's not how, so not only is it a weird kind of concept to, to, to grasp and the whole shim thing, it's also like, oh, and we can't use our normal tools how we normally use it to uh, check these use cases. Like it's, it's, it's just um, a little bit foreign to how we normally how we normally do things. Yeah, yeah. Like, and 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 to be fair, right? Like, that's that's part of what like you know wrapping my own brain around it, right? And how cores actually works. That's why, like, when you when you guys were talking about it, I was like, yes, like I, like I didn't have the same words to express it as what you and Tim did, and what, that, that's why I keep pointing people in your direction or that YouTube like the videos direction is I'm like. Look, if you want to understand why cores is different than every other security control that we have out there, you have to understand what it is and how it's actually operating. And most people don't. I, it, you know, I, like you guys even pop up the, uh, the what's her bucket that is always like ah the cores issues, right? You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, Kathy do, yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. Yep, yep. Because I mean, but it, but she's exactly right from a developer perspective. It's always like ah crap, you know, cores is getting in my way again because they're trying to make calls out to other places and I got to turn off the security controls. It's almost like I'm turning off my firewall so I can do what I want, right? Um, which, which like they don't necessarily realize the impact of that in a lot of cases, um, which is why uh, like, again, the tool and everything else that you, that you talk about in the, in the presentation is so, I, I, it's cool, right? Like, you know, so. So, okay, so yeah, cores is turning off the same origin policy, right? We've got that, it's done in the browser. Um, the browser you know, basically listens to what the, the site tells it as far as, hey, this, these are the sites that can talk to me. And then if it bypasses the same origin policy, it allows it to load. All right, so, so what is it that you guys did with that? What was the, what was the research? What was it the impetus that, that caused you to, to call up Tim in the middle of the night and wake him up, you know, in the middle of the night? Like, I mean, it's Tim, so what? That was like 10.30, right? You know? oh, so it's, actually, it's opposite. So I'm, I'm the early one and oh, Tim's okay, the one in Rocket League until one. Oh, that's and right. Then that's writing code till three and then, yeah. Um, but, so, uh, and I just, just for a second, I want to take, I want to take a point out to note that that um, he is Tim is one of the few people who actually has the genetic marker where he doesn't like have to. I think that's what Tim can correct me. He's on chat, but from what I understand, like there's you know there's a very tiny percentage of the population that has like this genetic makeup where they just don't sleep. They just don't sleep much at all. It's only like a few hours, and that's like a whole night's sleep to them. 
And uh, yeah, he's just like the, the one of the rare people I know that can operate off that. Like, I don't know, man. I love sleep. I, I, I wouldn't want to sleep only a few hours. It's like my favorite thing. I remember I you guys staying on sleep. I remember quick, quick aside, when I first started uh, at the consulting agency where, where we all work together, I was on site with Tim. Like second day on the job, I'm on site with Tim. And I had just left another consulting agency where we traveled a good bit. Like I was gone at least one week out of the month, if not two weeks out of the month, pretty regularly. Uh, and I, I'm all stoked. Uh, you know, the folks we worked with were, were amazing. We had an amazing team when we all worked together. And so I'm, I'm on site with, with, with Tim and a bunch of other guys. And they were up to like two or three in the morning. And I'm like, guys, I'm exhausted. Like, I got to get some sleep. So I, 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 I called a night. The next night. They're up to two or three in the morning again, you know, playing board games. I can't hang like that. I can't do that. They did it for like a week straight. Then I realized where we came from. We didn't do a whole lot of travel. So I'm thinking these guys are doing this week over week, twice a month, up like not sleeping at all. I realized like, oh, wait, this is the first time most of these guys have even been in the same room for six months or a year and some of these, you know, folks had never even been, you know, so it was, it was, it wasn't what I thought it was, but I'm like, I'm Ah. thinking like, I can't, I can't hang with these guys. They're up till, you know, every, every night till two or three in the morning. And I don't know where they sleep. And it was just coming off of. Yeah. It's not a regular thing. Yeah. 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 Although Tim's body could hold up to that. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a freak that way. Yeah. But uh, But, uh, a good, a good freak. Sorry, Tim. I mean that in a good way. You're lucky. So yeah. So um that's to 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 get back to your question. So um like I mentioned, Evan, David, other other folks, they've looked at core specifically from a security perspective of like unsafe defaults, which is extremely important in cores. Uh every place I go to, the first thing that I see are people using libraries that default to reflected origin. And that was mm-hmm. one of the things specifically Evan looked at. He at, at the time that he was interested in it, which he's interested in a lot of things, and I think this is this is uh, fallen down on his priority list for for good reason. But at the time that he was interested in it, I think he scanned the Alexa top. I believe it's like seven hundred thousand. I don't know why he. Maybe he was just trying to get to a certain number that were were true positives, and then he stopped. But for whatever reason, it wasn't quite a million. I think it was like seven hundred k or something like that. And he has it out on his gist. Uh, but at that time, there was a good number, like, I want to say 500, uh, not a huge ratio, but a good number of sites that were just reflecting origin. Whatever origin you put in that you were coming from, the site took that origin, reflected it back in the response. And what that basically does is essentially turns off the same origin policy because it's, it's, it's reflecting. Whatever you're telling it, it's saying, yes, you have the, you have the permission to talk to me. And where that becomes really of concern is when you couple arbitrary reflected origin with um, uh, access control allow uh, credentials when you're using cookie-based credentials. Because basically what that does is that's just C-surf on steroids. Um, And it basically says, any site can talk to me and I will pull my cookies out of my cookie jar and send those happily along. And it just becomes extremely, extremely dangerous. And it's so bad that the browsers have actually neutered the ability to use the wildcard origin with access control allow uh, credentials 
because that's just like so dangerous. But what has happened now is that because of that, the reflected origin has kind of really picked up. Um, and so anyway, that's the stuff that, that David and, and, and Evan and, and other folks who created Python scanners and all kinds of different tools to identify um, either like uh, regex captures that are too permissive or just reflecting raw origins or whatever the case may be. Um, that's where really the research starts and stops. It's all around origin. It's all around uh, access control allow credentials. So one day, I uh, was, was in a, on an assessment uh, consulting and uh, I got the burp alert, like act, um, reflected origin, but it wasn't the, um, I'm sorry, it was the wildcard origin. Burp will give you an info, uh, uh, or at least it used to, an info issue for, for wildcard origin. And I'm looking at that like, it's, man, this wildcard looks dangerous but it's not dangerous and there's gotta be something, there's, there's, there's gotta be something. And then I just had one of those light bulb moments where I'm just looking at the whiteboard and it hit me that um, the whole the whole idea of the browser is neutering that wildcard origin thing is, is with credentials, but not all requests that are dangerous include credentials. So the idea behind me calling Tim was can we create this concept of using unauthenticated requests with permissive origin policies to do brute forcing? And I think actually, you guys might remember this. I think I called you guys too. And, and or at least I, I think I had this conversation with, with multiple people, maybe, maybe, but anyway. I'm um, sure you did. I, I, I do feel like that does sound kind of familiar. Yeah. Or it might've been like we were prepping for, cause this is, uh, uh, thankfully this is the fourth time you've had me on the podcast. Uh, so it may have even been prepping for, for one of the podcasts previously. And uh, I like wow. just mentioned it in passing, but anyway, it had a I think you did going. actually. Yeah. I yeah. think cause you, cause you, yeah, yeah. You were saying like Tim and I are working on this for this talk. Yeah. 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 I talked so, to, a while to get out, to get out there because you had the material prep for a while, but it took you a while uh, just, just cause you know, you're going to like Derby con. And so that took time just for like, you had to submit earlier to that. So it took a while for that, you know, obviously the conference to come on and for you to give the talk. So this is, this is, so yeah. So the, the uh, brass tacks, the idea was to create a framework that we could use to target uh, permissive wildcard origin for uh, brute force login attacks or basically anything that you, that you expose that, um, you know, you, you know, it could be like a coupon code. It could be a login. It could be anything that has an endpoint that, um, you know, doesn't have rate limit, doesn't have, surf controls or whatever um and and um you know authentication is an interesting one because a lot of times authentication doesn't have surf control on it because your credentials are the secret so you're not going to surf someone to log in because that's, that just doesn't happen right so the whole idea behind adding a nonce or a surf token on a login is just like overhead additional complexity that especially on a login you don't want to add so um that's kind of where we landed use permissive origin for cores to target a login but the interesting thing about cores is because of the way it's supposed to work you have script that's communicating cross origin it can receive that that data back um we could basically funnel that data back 
to uh, use it in like a command and control type setting. So basically the way that this worked, and this is what made the, what made the talk so interesting and why we didn't just say, screw it, throw a blog up and, and let's move on. We wanted to give it as a talk because we created, uh, Tim, credit, Tim created this really cool um, uh, command and control type thing using server uh, sent requests and all kinds of, of, of interesting concepts. So basically what we did was we took an attack uh, an attack E, so a victim, and aimed their login, their brute force, to another victim. So you have victim A, and then you have vic victim B, who is the service or server. And we're basically funneling bad login requests or online brute, brute force or credential stuffing attacks via through victim A to victim B, which is the server or service that's, that's uh, vulnerable. And basically we're doing that via cores, but we're basically hooking the browser, whether it would be cross-site scripting or whether it be a, a rogue ad or whether it just be like a watering hole attack, whatever the case may be, uh, you're just basically using embedded, you're using a script on a page to send requests from one victim to another victim. And the, the reason that is interesting is because in an online brute force attack, what's the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna say, we have a whole crap ton of requests coming from this, this IP, block it. Okay, well, we have a bunch from here, block it. Oh, it must be a botnet, you know, block, 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 block. Well, when you have it distributed from users who are probably legitimate users, it becomes much harder to play whack-a-mole with. And so, yeah, that's what we ended up doing. We ended up basically creating a demo where we use the audience's computers or phones to go to a site. Tim had a, uh, a script that was embedded in that site. That script basically pulled down credential pairs and then sent those credential pairs to another site that was, again, all of this was, was a closed loop demo. And that site then processed real logins. It was Jewshop, actually. The, 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 the attack, the, the service that we were attacking was Jewshop. So we were basically pointing um, one victim to brute force, online brute force juice shop. And then we could basically funnel those requests back through the victim and see the results as the, uh, the uh, attacker. And that's what made the attack really interesting. So I mean, um, that, that's you Cause you're really, you're like, well, if, if you don't have rate limiting, but that would, I mean, like that, this is the exact reason you do this is if they do have rate limiting, like this is a good, cause if you don't know about rate limiting, I'm just, I mean, like, you guys add to this as you want, but like rate limiting is based on basically signatures. And if you, it's easy if you see it coming from a certain IP space or from a, there's certain signatures you can build from the headers being sent. But if you can change these things up and make them dynamic and distribute all this work and make the request a little bit different, I mean, it's really hard for somebody to like an anti-abuse or spammy abuse type situation to like figure out who to block. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, like even the amount of time that it took you to actually do that, like I can't remember how many requests it was that you guys sent, but it was some insane number. And like, I even remember you, like you and Tim talking about how you had to slow it down because it would go so quick that it, you would get the password back before like you could even <laughs> talk about what was going on. Like if you had a couple hundred people that were, that were, that were executing that attack and like it, yeah, I mean, you forget how powerful that like that whole kind of idea of a botnet really is mm -hmm. until 
until you're able to execute something like this. That's, that's why I love research like this because you know, it's these findings that you, when you go to give a report, whether it's, you know, it doesn't matter if you're internal or external, but if you give a report, there's inevitably, inevitably going to be things that fall under sort of like the lower risk category. And previously, let's be honest, most of the, like, this is, this is true of many web app security things on their own oftentimes fall under a low risk category, but you say, Hey, I know it's not, it doesn't seem important, but you should harden it for just future proofing purposes. Right. That's really what we're trying to do here is there might be maybe something else. And then you've got somebody that comes out like yourself and Tim and you're like, Hey, that thing that was low, somebody's proved that, you know, it's not low. It's, it's a real concern. So it's, yeah, it's pretty cool to, to just, I always love when people do this type of research and then, you know, make things a little bit more serious than we initially thought. Yeah. The, the, the craziest thing to me, and, and, and Seth, you, you just mentioned this when, when Tim first, first worked up a POC, like I did a POC, but it was literally just like one, one payload through another browser incognito mode to another. And I was like, oh, I can't get all of this like wired up. And I told Tim and he, like literally called him 24 hours later, we think back up and, and he was thinking about it from one direction. I, I tweaked it slightly and, 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 and we realigned 24 hours after that, he had a whole POC worked up. And that first POC that he had, which is actually pretty damn close to, to what I think his final product was, he basically fed in 10 credential pairs. And like you said, Seth, it was so fast that he could never actually see it. He would set it up. He would go back to the browser. It would be done. It would already be done. Yeah. yeah. And it was, and, and, and so then um, he ended up throttling it to like one per second. And then we, we um, one per second per browser per hook. And you could obviously open up multiple tabs and that's what we ended up doing. And then when we went to Greenville and did this for the first time, um, it was still one per second, but we had a pretty short payload list. And uh, we just didn't know how, how, <laughs> honestly, we, we, we did, we did this kind of silly, but um, each of our, so our, our hook, our um, uh, C2 and our victim app were all on different cloud providers using different technologies. It was like the demo God's worst right there. <laughs> and we got, we got to, to, to Greenville and it worked. I mean, like, like amazingly worked. We, I don't even know if Tim ever logged out of his console. We closed it. <laughs> we walked away from it. We put in the CFP for Derby and, and uh, one other one that we weren't accepted at. We got accepted. We, uh, Tim taught a, a new, brand new class at Derby this year, which I helped him out a little bit on. But he was really busy this summer writing that class and, and, and working through that. So we didn't even really go into much until the week of, of, of our talk because we had already had it written. We had slides, we had everything, but we did do some tweaking. We, you know, but anyway, he opened up and his last commit was literally like first commit was two days after I first brought them this up to him last summer. And then his pre, you know, the, the, the last commit that he saw was like a day before we did the Frizo in Greenville, opened it back up, fired everything back up and it just worked again. It was just like, amazing how well this actually worked every time we did it and um anyway long story short we put maybe ten thousand key uh credential pairs in at um uh derby con and then we slowed it from one second 
down to, I think, 0.1 seconds or maybe a, a quarter of a second. And it's still because we just had so many more people at Derby participating in the demo. You can hear in the talk, the audio is a little weird. It's not quite synced up for, for the, the, the Derby con video. But if you kind of match it up, you can hear me saying, oh, there's 400. Oh, there's 400. Those were 400 requests coming in. Like every two seconds, there were 400 brute force attempts against the application. And that was just maybe 20 people or 30 people in the room participating. If you think about that, and then extrapolate that to like a Mirai botnet or something like that. I mean, it would be absolute chaos. Chaos. Yeah, I mean, I go back to like, you know, you guys like targeted the login functionality and the credential stuffing. And, you know, I mean, obviously that's a dangerous thing, like the brute force attacks that go along with that. Like I go back to some of that research that JP, that John Poland did and his little like, uh, I can't remember what he called it, right? Like his, um, uh, so he was trying to crack like uh, numeric pin codes and things like that, right? Like using a similar kind of botnet style um, approach. Mm -hmm. Um, But you you think about popping something like that in there, like, you know, okay, you've only got 10 minutes and it's six characters long. Guess what, right? Like if, if you've got access to, you know, it doesn't even sound like, you know, a few hundred browsers that are pointed at a system and then you don't have cores enabled, bam, right? Or you, I should say, you do have cores enabled, but in, yeah. insecurely configured. I, it, it really sounds like we could get we could get past that pretty quickly. So like no longer is like six digits or seven digits even something that we would have to be worried about, right? From an attacker perspective, but from like trying to protect against it, like without implementing cores properly or implementing, you know, some sort of rate limiting on there. I, I just, I like, I, yeah, it, it feels pretty monumental as far as, oh crap, right? We're not thinking about this correctly. Uh, we're, we're, re- we're really not taking into account the number of systems that can be pointed at something and, and the different approaches that someone could take for that. Yeah, I, I did like, I think a, a check on the Fortune 500 like main login pages for like you know looked at whatever the Fortune 500 were that were tech apps and then mm-hmm. looked at their main product login uh, for each of, of the ones that were that had some type of tech app uh, and I don't know if I ran into any to be honest with you maybe the Fortune 100 but whatever it was I looked at it like okay this is their main app they're a tech company. This is their login screen. None of them were using cores in a way, and you know, this was a year and a half ago. But none of them were using cores in um, by itself without also using CSER uh, protection or a notch or something. So it, it's not quite as bad as um, it sounds. Shop, uh, but it just takes. I mean, there 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 are a lot. It's, particularly if um, I'm not, I, I want to be careful because I don't want to like give someone a loaded gun and give them the target. But if you do a specific Shodan search on a specific routing framework, and I'll leave it at that, you look at those and almost everyone that I found was vulnerable. 
yeah. then what I did was basically look at Shodan, look for that header, then just kept clicking through and I was like, oh, that's a brand I recognize. Oh, that's a brand I recognize. You know, it was, it was kind of like that. So it wasn't quite, it wasn't quite like 10% of the internet is, is pwned, but it was like, there are recognizable brands out there that have this issue right now. Um, you know, but. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think like in general, like the, the long tail of security, right, is, yeah, you've got the big banks, you've got the big tech companies and, you know, even startups that have people like us working there that are aware of this sort of thing. But then you have, and then you've got kind of the middle layer, which is, you know, at least somebody's coming in once in a while to look at security things and they're probably going to pull some of this and they're, they're going to get it configured right. But then you have all the WordPress sites and the small, small businesses that just, yeah, like that, that, that's, that's, there, there is a, there, there's a huge amount of, like, I don't even know how to, how to phrase it, but like, uh, like sites and applications that are out there that just don't get security scrutiny, right? They don't, they don't get, they, there's no, there's no bug bounty out there for them. Like they're just too small for that. It's not even on their radar or earth. It is, it's just too expensive for them all that kind of stuff. And so that's, that's where I have a bigger fear for it is like, yeah. you know, a little mom and pop, you know, you know, community bank that just never really worries about that on their login page or on their signup page that happens to have a pin number or like an SMS text that they send to someone that, uh, you know, what. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to point like, again, like you, I don't want to point people that direction, but realistically yeah. that's, that's where it would really affect someone's day-to-day -day life. Right. And just to, to, to follow up on that. So one thing that Tim made clear was this was purpose built. This was a demo. This, the idea yeah. of this was to show, but then like he literally has to, I, I don't want to put words in Tim's mouth. I'll let Tim, Tim say uh, what he has or hasn't done. But at least at the time that, that we deliver this talk and he released the code, he had he had mentioned that, like, I'm never going to touch this code again. Like, there's no real good reason for this tool other than to to demonstrate what we did. He wanted to open source. He's not trying to hide anything. He open sourced it. It's out there. But it's not going to be like Recon NG that he's maintaining and adding features and adding more hooks. And it's like, OK, this is a very specific demo. We want to show that this is a real risk it can be abused in xyz scenario but at the end of the day like other than demonstration purposes there's not actually a good reason to use this setup there's like there's not like it's it just what it, it, it is what it is but what i did want to talk about regarding evan's research that he did i think it was in 2013 or 2015 is in my opinion this problem has only gotten worse because yeah. of aws azure uh, microservices, uh, you know, S3, Lambda, you have all of these different subdomains and microservices that are talking to each other on all, you know, and you, to be able to do that via, you know, XHR, you have to enable core. It just, that's, you have to, that's, you have to do that, right? So because of that, you go out and you pull down XYZ library. And that's really where Evan's work shined. He went through and did a lot of research. So like this library, you just pull in this library, 
it reflects origin right there. Fix that. And he went through and he did PRs. He did a lot of work to try to, to, to make those libraries better. And honestly, he got some flack for it. He got a lot of pushback and, and, and that's just open source in, in, a, in a nutshell. But um, beyond that, a lot of libraries today that aren't just terribly vulnerable out of the, out of the gate default to wildcard. Almost yeah. all of them, almost all of them do. And that's actually where we brought up the, the swagger document stuff in the, uh, the talk. I feel a little bit bad. Uh, several people have come to me like, you guys know you shit on swagger and you didn't even apologize. And I'm like, <laughs> we didn't, it wasn't that we were trying to call them out, but it's really important to know that swagger is used heavily. You guys know that swagger is used so many places. It's hugely, hugely um, uh, implemented, uh, widely implemented. I say, excuse me, I sound like Trump. Um, it's widely implemented. And uh, usually it's not on the same host. Or it's on a different port. It's on, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, um, uh, many times on a different port or different subdomain or something than, than the actual application. And when you do that, you have to enable core. Like it says right on there, like for Swagger to work, if it's not on the same port and it's not on the same host, you need to enable cores. And their recommendation is the site that all of them either default to reflected origin or wildcard, every single one of them. Uh, so it's like you're using a tool for documenting your APIs and it's supposed to make you more feature complete, more documentation complete hopefully more secure. And just by using that tool, you've now opened up cores where your application may not even need cores. And I actually have found that in assessment um, multiple times where I'm looking at an app, you guys aren't even talking to other domains. Like what, why, do, why is cores even a thing? And then it hits me, it's Swagger. They have Swagger on this app and they needed it to talk over a different port. They had to enable cores. And that, like that, that takes me back to the mobile stuff too, because I can't tell you the number of mobile assessments that I've done where I found Swagger installed on the API, like embedded in the API, and they've completely disabled same origin policy via cores because oh, we've got Swagger there, and that's how we developed it, and then then they just leave it sitting there when they push to production because they think ah, no one's ever going to find it or whatever, right? You know. I, like uh, Swagger is one of those things that I love to search for when I find an API endpoint because I'm like, hmm, I, I know that as a developer, it's super useful to be able to test your your API endpoints. But then at that point, you know, that's a that's a good indication of it is the reflected origin or the you know the wildcard or origin policy. So, yep. so yeah, so I should I should state other than the fact that we. have We've identified that applications are just using cores just to, to, to integrate with Swagger. Like that, that, that is kind of weird, right? Uh, you're opening yourself up to a whole class of, of issues that you may not even know because you want to use this, this documentation tool. Um, like the, that's kind of an issue. The other thing that we brought up about Swagger, and Tim actually brought this up, is in their documentation, they actually call cores a uh, security policy. Like cores is a security policy, and and you hit it at the top of the show. That's like cores isn't the security policy. Cores is the shim to bypass the security policy. So not only are people implementing cores just to use this tool, even the tool that is making you implement it doesn't really define what the thing is very well. 
So yeah. it's just like everywhere you go into this stack, it's very fuzzy. Um, and and uh, so yeah, I I want to make it clear that I'm nothing against Swagger. Like you said, Seth, I actually really like when I find a site or app or whatever I'm testing that has Swagger because like you did <clears throat> half my job for me. This is awesome. Sweet, thank you. Um, <laughs> and I think it's super important. I mean, like we all dealt with Wizzles and all uh, YAML and all the other you know crap that that. Uh, well, not everybody. Not everybody. I mean, that's that's for some people listening. But remember, there's definitely people on this podcast that. And, and thank and good for you also if you've never if you're new, if you don't have to deal with the uh, Wizdles WSDL good for bless you. your heart you right? so, is, that what you're, is that what you're saying is bless summer, your heart bless your yeah heart. <laughs> sweet summer children um, who is, no but who I mean you, yeah I just wanted to point out that not you know I think it's it's important to just remember that yeah not everybody understands like that there there were yeah crazy difficult protocols and technologies to work with and and in the government definitely still are unfortunately. Wasn't it just spring that you guys were like, oh, we never see XML. You had someone on, I forget who it was. And you're like, we never see XML anymore. Oh, XML yeah. is really, it's really. And I'm like mowing the lawn, listening to the podcast. I'm like, what are these guys testing? I see it every week. What, you know, the whole. So if you work with thing. hipster companies, if your primary I thing in life is working with. I, I don't know what you see is GraphQL, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> GraphQL yeah. and RESTful endpoints and, you know, yeah, I, 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 have to, I, I regret that comment now. Like after, after saying that, I think I found one like every week for the next like three or four weeks <laughs> yeah. like, or the three or four assessments after I was like, Oh look, there's another soap endpoint. Great. Right. Question mark. Wisdom. Thank you. Yeah. So I was just, I was just working with the uh, API today, actually jam. Oh yeah. Jam, okay. You don't set, the content type to application JSON, it defaults to XML. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, the only thing that controls the the response back being JSON is the the um, the content type and applic- uh, ex- expected uh, content. So if you leave that blank, it will, and, and ironically, I'm pretty sure it has a very, very swagger-like Set of documentation. This is great. It's awesome because I was actually working from a developer side for for for, for Jam. But um, mm. anyway, I I just saw XML today on a product that's deployed on a lot of tech companies uh, because tech companies use Mac and, and and Mac is kind of the the de facto for for uh, our Jam is de facto for for Mac management. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, along those lines too. Like we're we're talking Swagger. We're talking. Uh, you know, XML and so, but like actually uh, Justin and I are giving a, a couple hour workshop on dealing with, you know, testing basically, and, you know, web service interfaces. And those are the ones that we're, we're talking about are SOAP and REST. And, you know, we'll go into GraphQL a little bit as well, but um, that'll be at SyncCon actually. And I think ne- end of next week, we're going to go through and do a, a, sli- a small workshop on that because it is, yeah, when you're dealing with mobile apps or you know anything that's RESTful or anything that's using XHR, it's gonna it's gonna talk one of those technologies, one of those protocols, right? But how long before we're all sitting around on this podcast talking about how we never see uh, traditional you know REST web services and everything's uh, uh, 
I'm, I'm um, never making that proclamation again. I'm sorry, right? Like, like I didn't knock on wood or whatever it was. Before I firmly maintain the world's going the direction of what idiocracy uh, predicted. So I don't think things will get better. But no, I'm kidding. Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking like there will, there will be a time where we'll where we're going to be like, man, remember the how REST services were everywhere. Now it's all HTTP two and gRPC and and just like. Uh, like, like we will, will we be upset or will we heart like wish we were back in the days where things were just so easy with uh, HTTP 1.1 uh, and uh, non-stateful and easy to replay. I mean, from, from a security perspective, it's easy to get in there and do that stuff and, and, and find, you know, but when you have a, a, a truly uh, stateful protocol, like HTTP2, HTTP3, and you're using uh, uh, gRPC and some of these interesting protocols. It's like we might actually be excited when we see some of the older technology where, where it's, it's easier to actually just invoke things and, and, and see, um, you know, uh, asynchronous requests and, or synchronous requests and, and, and actually, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I, I, it's not going to go away. I know you guys aren't making the XML prediction here, but it, it might be interesting to see in a couple of years how. There are some things that we need to look out for with HTTP3. I know I have not looked through the standard at all, and I know that's coming soon. And uh, yeah, like I definitely need to brush up on that. It's something that's really interesting that's coming down. So I think I'm saying coming down because I think it's, I, I think Chrome's the, the first one who's going to be supporting that, I want to say. But yeah, if that, and then if that's the case, you know, everybody else is going to follow. So I think it's, I think HTTP3 is supported by Chrome, Firefox, and Cloudflare right now. Oh, nice. Very cool. It makes sense. This, yeah. If, if I'm not mistaken, HTTP3, this is going to be gross uh, over uh, uh, exaggeration, but HTTP3 is essentially HTTP2 over UDP, right? Right. Exactly. Like they took away the TCP handshake bit. I was trying to understand the spec and then I, yeah, I was like, I'm too dumb for this right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's, it's, that's how it's summarized essentially like, or that's a, sorry, that's a good summary of it. I think. Yeah. So, yeah, so basically they solved the reliability issues with using UDP. I don't really know how they did it though. So that would be something okay, so, interesting. So, so we're taking more state away from HTTP. That's basically what you're saying. Well, no, it's more, so it's more like, um, yeah, I will, it, it's, it's more about just like efficiency and speed and, but like trying to somewhat maintain reliability, which obviously with UDP. So, so for those listening to the podcast that aren't familiar, TCP, if you, you know, if you're, if you're starting your career, there's a handshake that occurs. It's like this whole SYNAC, relationship that um uh this, this handshake sequence and then with udp and that's to make sure that like hey are you there yeah i'm here okay you're there i'm gonna send you something okay cool you know that's tcp in a nutshell and udp is just like fuck it here you go you know like yeah. whatever whatever happens happens drops it i don't know like that's that's the so the reliability as you can see like without retransmission uh there it's like yeah, it's 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 fast because there's not that like handshake, but it's not reliable. But I guess it's going to fix that. We'll see. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's right, similar. Yeah. I'm sorry, good. good. No, no, I just posted a link to the QUIC, the quick UDP internet connection or whatever it is, right? Because that's what uh, it's actually using, right? 
um, underneath yeah, so, the hood. Yeah. Go ahead. So it was. So Google came out with Quick, which was the protocol, and then Quick basically through the RFC process and through the, the, the Google's push turned into HTTP2. And then HTTP2 has now evolved into HTTP3, which might, and, and again, probably gross uh, oversimplification, but the idea is similar to the way that like UDP VPNs work, right? Yep. To where that, that type is, is, is uh, completed and then the TLS negotiation and the application uh, layer are within that pipe. Um, so same idea, like you can set up a, a stateful UDP, a VPN over UDP and your packets still get there, it still works. Like it's the same idea, it's just at a, at a different layer. Yeah, and I'm gonna have to read up on quick and stuff. Cause I, like, like, I mean, I think you're right. Like it's gonna affect a lot of the tools and other things that we use, right? Like, you know, burp support. And I mean, we, we've already seen this a little bit with even just web sockets and some of the other technologies that are coming out that the security tooling doesn't support it and that it makes our life more difficult, right? Um, from a testing perspective, um, but yeah, they, I mean, yeah, I'm sure yeah. there's going to be other things that are that are going to pop up in there. Like it, it's interesting how it's stuffing everything together with like the TLS handshake as well to speed things up. Um, but I, I mean, they're saying that half of all Chrome communication now is already using Quick. So even even though we, it, it's still in you know draft mode or whatever you want to call it from IETF, the browser's already using it and Google's already using it because it's quicker and it probably reduces the overhead on their systems. So I know, it, it, uh, it's here. Yeah. If you, you used to be able to go to Chrome colon whack whack net dash internals and in net internals, there was an HTTP two proxy basically um, that, or I guess you would call it like a syslog. Uh, and my phone just thought I said the, uh, the digital assistant, uh, for some reason. Um, but, uh, anyway, the, um, used to be able to go into net internals and you could see, so it's like HTTP2 uses the idea of frames like ethernet rather than like the asynchronous, um, uh, uh two part requests. Uh, that that uh, HTTP one and one dot one use. Uh, so you used to be able to go in and like look at the frames and, and see all that. Chrome removed that. I don't know why. I don't know if it was just like a bloat thing. I don't know if it was a security thing. If you go to Chrome uh, Net Internals now, it's a it's a separate applet. You have to download that applet, but you can still utilize it to see uh, the HTTP2 traffic. You just have to like enable a logging mode and then export that log into this applet and then parse that applet. So it's not quite as easy as it used to be, but at least just doing that, capturing that log and then browsing sites and then going out and importing it. I think you'd be amazed at seeing how many sites other than Google properties are using it. I know Twitter specifically is a heavy user of HTTP2. There's a lot of sites out there that, um, I was surprised a couple of years ago. Uh, and I think that that number has, has only gone up, but you're hundred percent right. Seth. right now, the only way we're able to use burp is by saying, uh, I don't know what HTTP two is. Can we go back to HTTP one and our, and the sites that we're negotiating with are kind enough to say, okay, yeah, we can, we can support that. Yeah. 
But, but you know, I, I blame IE for all of the, you know, the, the, the supporting old technologies because all the big financials are the big, you know, big companies are still using Windows. And I, I, I guess they're moving to Edge slowly. Shh, talk about Microsoft. <laughs> they're listening. Well, that's right, because GitHub's switching from GraphQL to SOAP, right? Back to XML yeah. because... It's our big push. Yeah. Big push, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'll see it at Universe in like a month. I hope, I really honestly hope somebody from the tech journalism field picks up on that and actually prints a story saying that, you know, we're running soap for universe. That'd be amazing. I, we'll I, 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 I could put something together, you know, <laughs> you know, that'd be a great April fools, like just put together a, a whole document and a whole blog post and like have a few endpoints that are actually available via soap and just be like, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're moving. If we're moving to soap, you know, <laughs> yeah. That'd be a great one. <laughs> soap with authorization headers. Sweet. So yeah. Maybe I can get Neil. Uh, he pushes to prod. Neil, uh, Neil uh, Oreo Shake on Twitter. Yeah. Neil might do it for me. So to come full circle with, with that, you know who, who makes Swagger, right? Smart Bear. I actually don't remember. Who is it? It's the people who make Soap UI. Oh, it is. <laughs> and anyone, I hope there's people on this call, other than the three of us, That's hilarious. who remember having to strangle Soap UI to try to get it to work with oh, PLS. It was a bear, no pun intended. It was terrible. So I hope. I, become- yeah, I just, I just pulled up their site. I'm like, oh, look, Swagger Hub and Soap UI. Dang, I did not realize that. Isn't that funny? So SIPUI normalized pulling data from Wizdles and normalized the calls. And then you could edit the calls, right? Like you could actually do like a burp, almost like a burp suite type deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I was like, yeah, I've worked with SOAPUI, but I just don't remember. It was so long ago. Like I I think it's, God, it's been a long time since I've worked with SOAPUI. The pro version even had like security payloads that you could set. And it was expensive, wasn't it? Like pretty, like really expensive. Yeah, but it was one only like API testers that was out there, right? It was expensive. Yeah. It was clunky. Like the user interface was clunky, but the, the worst part was, and I don't know if you had the same experience, but I know a lot of people who have, was getting it to properly negotiate TLS with its Java core. Like there was just something weird about it. Say no where, more, you said Java core. <laughs> what's that? Oh yeah. <laughs> the Java core, say no more. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Burp and Zap and other, you know, Java apps uh, seem to to be able to to do TLS negotiation pretty well. Uh, I don't know what it was just about memory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's all I could think of is like you'd have to use it being SOAP UI. Like it was already like, oh, okay, I gotta I gotta use this thing, and then on no, top I, of it, like, I I totally remember chaining SOAP UI through Burp. Yeah. So Burp can handle TLS. And Tim said yep. that too, yeah. Oh, he did? That's what Tim said, yeah, yeah. exactly. Here, here, I, here, like, here's this comment. Yeah, Tim, yeah. I love his picture, by the way, Tim. That's amazing. <laughs> and proxy to Burp. I'm yep. adding to that facial expression. All right. Oh, sorry, Are Seth, you? I keep cutting you off. I have to do this. No, nope, like, you're fine. That. Yeah. Sweet. Well, I, I mean, Kevin, we've been going for like an hour and 20 minutes. 
doesn't even feel like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I, I don't know, man. Like, I, like the, the course talk, I, I, I can't, I can't wait to see what you guys come out with next or, you know, what research you, you like paths you guys end up down, um, especially doing the autonomous vehicle stuff, right? Whatever you can release from Argo, you know, I'm sure you know, feel free to come back on and talk about it. Um, I mean, we're going to have to have Tim on again too. Uh, you know, you know, seeing as he's been like the the fourth member of the podcast tonight, we probably should have <laughs> brought him on, but yeah, I definitely, uh, time will Tim, I didn't mean to speak for you and I hope, hope I, I, I spoke well when I did speak, speak for him, but yeah, definitely. Um, my, my, the light bulb moment would have been like literally a couple scripts and some incognito uh, browser tab uh, talking to each other. If it wasn't for Tim, Tim, Tim put the, the pieces together and made that really, really cool framework. Uh, and then on top of that, it was really Tim who put the, the talk framework together. Like, Hey, let's start with, with, with uh, talking about same origin policy. Let's move to, to cores and cores, you know, issues. Let's move to, to this kind of unique thing. Then let's go to uh, um, the tool, and and then let's let's wrap it back up. So if it was me, it would have been like a lightning talk on this one abuse case and how you know. So again, all, all props, all props to that. But it was, it's definitely I agree I agree with you, Seth. It's it's something that more people should know. It's something that is is used or bypassed or copied from uh, Stack Overflow every day. Uh, because of those, those little same origin policy errors that we see in our consoles. So hopefully, if and I think probably a lot of people the podcast have heard of it or, or, or know of it a little bit. Hopefully, um, you know more people are, are aware of it. And uh, I am glad that although the audio is a little bit out of sync, I am glad that the talk at Derby was recorded. But I completely agree. Um, I think it was it was well received because it was a, a pretty good inclusive discussion of what cores is and what it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's good. I, I mean, like if anyone has questions on it, you know, feel free to join our Slack, hit, hit up Kevin on Twitter. I'm sure, you know, you have nothing else to do besides te teach people how to pick locks. So, you know, you can walk through people through the, the same origin policy and course, but um, no, but in all seriousness, you know, if you want to talk about it, um, you know, get involved, let us know, right? Like if you've got questions on it, because it is super interesting, go watch the talk. I, I highly recommend it. Kudos to you guys for, for putting that out there and actually putting the research together because it is top notch, um, you know, and yeah, come back sometime, right? Like I'm sure, hey, I'm is, sure we'll this is, this is number four. Uh, so we got a, uh, what's that, a, a turkey in bowling, right? That's a, we're, we're on a, or no, three turkey. I don't know, four. Four. It's a. They yeah. actually made me learn that in middle school. Like we had a test on it, and I still don't remember what, what, how that all works. <laughs> Wait, you had a test on bowling terminology? I shit you not. I had no, yeah, I in middle school, and we moved to just outside Seattle, <laughs> County. We lived there for like nine months, eight months, something like that. And we, they legitimately made us learn the rules of bowling and all the terms and all that stuff, and then took a test on it. And it wasn't like testing on like you know bowling. It was in I think it was like physical education. It was ridiculous, dumbest thing. Because that had to be Midwest somewhere, but Seattle, uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Okay, apparently bowling's a big thing. I don't know, no clue. Because I, that said, 
I guarantee you no one under the age of 20 outside of like people who happen to play in school or something like that could sit down and actually write out like the scoring for, for bowling because they've been, there's always been computers in bowling alleys since they were alive. Like they, they never had. So I don't know, but it's, it's very, that's a very niche subject that they taught you. And it was, it's just generic physical education. I I don't know. I have no idea. It's a very unique indoor stuff. You, I don't know. No clue. To this day though, I still remember how useless that public education was. (laughs) It's a very unique scoring setup, though. Like it's it is. Like, there's nothing else like it. So it's a it's a cool uh, parlor. What's that? It's elaborate, and the terms are elaborate. It's weird. That's uh, that's, that's going to yeah, that, that, be your new like uh, coding like job interview you know, <laughs> question. Is build me an algorithm that actually scores bowling right on the board? Go now. And if they listen to this podcast, they'll know that, be prepared, and have earned that job. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it is it just uh, it does have some unique programming challenges to it. Like you know, if you know a bunch of if statements. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a cool one. That's a, you know, it's probably illegal to ask in the state of California. But um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm a little I'm a little salty because I had to go through like interview training because we have people in California of like what I can and can't ask. And I feel like I'm a very, very open, very bias aware, very like, but then like even some of the things that I thought I was, I was cool. I was kosher with. They're like, you can't ask that question. No. So, cause that could, that could be extrapolated that you're asking about their longevity in the field. And that could be that you're asking about their age. And that could be, it's like, Oh no, I don't, wow. what, what am I allowed to ask? <laughs> yeah, that gets weird, huh? It, you know, I I appreciate it because by by being aware of biases and being aware over aware of bias, like that that's all very important. So I don't I don't want to belittle that, but it is it is interesting when when you weren't I I just I I never worked for a company that had such a high presence in California, and it definitely um you know they're 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 progressive in their uh legislature about some of those things so it's interesting i mean it's across the board there's a lot of things that that um it's opening my eyes to so maybe that's why we stick to pretty when we do our interviews we're like super stick to a rubric technical nothing else um yeah interesting yeah interesting didn't realize dang we've been going for a while this is awesome like you're good to You're, you're, I'm in a hotel. Yes, I'm, in, I'm in a hotel. You're an awesome I have, guest. I've I've uh, companionship in in the uh, the Hampton Inn, so I'll I'll keep you guys on for hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and me. I mean, Ken. You know, he can go to bed or whatever. I guess. Yeah. Right? yeah and, and this is the we'll first time I've been home in a while. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, glamorous. I always laugh because people always think it's so fucking glamorous to travel. They're like, oh, you know, where are you going to go next? And. You know, it's like, man, if you all knew, it's not, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's like, you're thankful to, to, to have these opportunities and at the same time, sometimes there's nothing, a lot of times there's nothing glamorous about it. It's just, it's just a grind. So these past two years for, for, for you guys, I, I, I know some of the time you've been able to bring your families and that's, that's, I'm sure, mm-hmm. uh, makes a, a blessing, blessing in itself and, and being able to see the world. Like, uh, that's awesome. But 
you've done a lot, a lot of different traveling I, I, above and beyond that for, for you for work. You're also traveling, you know, sometimes. So I don't yeah. know, man, I, I, hats off to you guys. I, 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 obviously your course has been very well received and, uh, uh, all the different OWASP events and, and the, the different, you know, conferences you guys have done, um, like kudos for you for, for, for doing that for the community. But I, I don't blame you at all for taking a little bit of break because you've been, Thanks, you've man. been hitting hard. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do Australia and then we're just, I'm just, that's a wrap for a while. We're going to do, we're going to, I told Seth, I'm like, I need a break. Like this is just, it's great. I'm having fun, but I still need a break just from the, uh, like the old, uh, just have so, a routine yeah. for a little while. You know. he, he said that, and I'm like, well, you know, Cactus Con is the <laughs> no. Andrew's super cool, and it's a great conference. We could go down, and we could just chill. And I'm like, nah, it's too far for you to go. But yeah. Yeah, I was like, so, no, Kevin, you and then, but what's funny is after you brought that up, I was like, well, this is giving me some time to like recuperate. I don't know, you know, so we'll see. We'll see it's like three time. weeks. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole few weeks. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, but we so it's fun though. I don't want to complain. I'm just saying that, like, you know, you guys are in Hampton Hampton Inns. It's not like you know you're staying at uh, some luxurious spa resort where people are you know feeding you grapes or whatever. It's you know real life. Hey, so. been to Hampton Inn lately? Yeah, <laughs> They're pretty they amazing. <laughs> wait, wait, Was it, is that is that literally their slogan? Have you been to a Hampton Inn lately? Like that? <laughs> yeah, no, but but honestly, honestly. Uh, Travel Hotel Hack. Seth, you can back me up on this uh, if you agree. Hampton actually has pretty darn comfortable beds. Like they may not have all the all the amenities of of some of the other Hilton brands, but uh, they have coffee. Uh, some of the Embassy Suites they actually don't have coffee. You have to buy the little pods. So like that's that's a huge thing on my my don't list. And they also have just really comfortable beds. And uh, those two things are like. One and two on my list for, for hotels. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like having, you know, staying in like different, like, uh, so like, because, you know, I, like I've kind of migrated to Hilton brands, right? Like just over yeah. the years. And that's where I have status and things. And I like, I'll stay at a Hampton Inn before I'll stay, even at like some of like the Hilton, like four stars, because exactly what you're saying, right? Like, I, I don't know what the beds are going to be like. I don't know what the, like, it feels like, you know, there's certain brands that you just kind of, okay, I know what I'm going to get. And most of the Hampton Inns nowadays have been updated in the last couple of years. Exactly. So you know, yeah. kind of modern and you get your breakfast and it's serviceable. Yeah. yeah. But uh, to so, Ken's point, right. Traveling by yourself is just a, uh, like I, no one ever talks about I try it. I to right? bring my family as much as it's, possible because it's the only thing that keeps me sane. Yeah. Cause you hit like five o'clock and most of the people that I go see, Guess what? They're going home to their family. They got their, you know, BJJ that they're doing at night or whatever. Yeah, else. The reason I'm so, late. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, all right, I, I guess I'm going to go, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's not super glamorous. It's not. You know. I was going to say on the travel note, Kevin Cody is the reason that I got this sucker to organize my cables, some of them are out of there right now because they're usually completely full. But yeah, I like, I usually have so a lot of the stuff that's in here is actually now on my desk. But because, uh, you know, you, you basically move your desk with you when you go on travel. That's really what you're doing. So, mm-hmm. anyways, thanks to you, I thought I'm going to buy an organizer and get, and get an organizer and get. But here's the other pro tip 
I have I have a from Target. You can buy it for like five or six bucks. The little the sleeping shades, sleeping mask thing. This thing, sleep mask. The other thing is, and these are the best thing in the world. You can get them for like I don't remember how much, but uh, so at the Cabela's uh, or Bass Pro or any like hunting place, you can get these earplugs, and you should always carry a jug of those with you for uh, the plane for. Uh, you know, hotel room and all that stuff. And then the last thing I was going to mention was uh, this uh, Mike McCabe got me this. Uh, and I highly re recommend it because if you've been flying, you know, your body gets like all banged up from, you know, from just like traveling. It's uh, the com company's name is B-R-A-Z-Y-N. It, it puts a lotion on its skin. Yeah. So it's a check this stuff out. Boom. It's a foam roller. So you in oh. your hotel room can like foam roll all the, the strains out. Stuff. So I always carry this with me. Yeah. Oh, and you it, just like pulled flat. Is that what it is? Yeah. So you just push these in and it's Ooh. flat. That's a good yeah. Roll. So I use the, like this and the, the sleep mask and the, 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 uh, whatever earplugs and those always, uh, yeah, let's keep me sane. My, my, uh, travel hack is the, uh, uh, and actually, I think it was Whitney Champion uh, brought this uh, this particular device. So we all have the little travel routers. There's a travel mm -hmm. router that is the GL Slate, I think it's called. Uh, I'll post the link in in, in uh, Slack. But um, it's a little travel router. It's um, 2.4 and 5 gigahertz. It's got two um, LAN ports, one WAN port. Um, but the cool thing is it's all based on OpenWRT. So it's completely hackable. So you can SSH to it. You can run Python on, on the bare metal. You can do all that stuff. And it um, uh, has WireGuard built in. So you just can just flip a switch or open uh, VPN if you want. You literally can flip a switch and just be on your VPN like that. So it's really slick. Uh, so if you're looking for a good travel router, IoT I, testing yeah. device, that's yeah, send, nice. send, send along that link because I have been yeah. looking for a new one, and that that sounds right up the alley of what I have been looking for. There's yeah. one other thing I want to want to mention. Oh shit! I didn't mean hit that. There's one thing I meant I meant to mention, which is bringing chip clips. You know those like those those clips that you have for chips to put on chips, and using those to secure your uh, curtains because sometimes the curtains don't fully close correctly and it lets in a lot of daylight and you don't necessarily want that especially if you do nighttime tests sometimes people want you on site at night or like later in the day bring chip clips you can black out your, your room for real okay so the other thing that you can use is they always have the the pants hangers ah yes well flip that Hi. flip I, that hanger up and then you don't have to bring the chip clips they've always got the <laughs> pants hangers <laughs> Brian Glass, I'm gonna put this on here. <laughs> oh Brian for those like, who hey, can't hey. Do this, are listening it says Brian Glass and he says travel tips that your hotel doesn't want you to know click here yeah this Tra is definitely uh, like, we've oh, gone we've off the rails haven't we oh my god we have and we've turned this from an hour podcast into almost two hours <laughs> <laughs> my airpods are dying that's how long we've been on this pod yet <laughs> oh well we had fun at least, at least we had fun well, Eric, Kevin, before we jump off, are you, have you, are you going anywhere else in the near future? No, no more talks, no more. Uh... I'm working on, working on some, some stuff. Um, okay. 
don't don't have any talks planned right now. Uh, I specifically did, like I usually go to Code Mash. I didn't do that this year. Um, I'll probably do some B sides in uh, starting in the beginning of next year. Q four, Q three, and Q four have always been my time where I don't do a lot because consulting is always so busy in Q3, Q4 that I've purposely always front loaded my years. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of carried over to starting this new job. Uh, so I'll probably start back up in the, the beginning of next year, but um, I'm working on some stuff. I have some ideas rattling around. I'll definitely put in, put in some CFPs here, but I actually don't have anything on the agenda. That, 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 that must actually feel kind of nice to <laughs> having, yeah. having traveled so much lately. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it does. But I'm new to the, I'm new to the uh, the OKR world, so I have these objectives that I have to meet now, and these uh, secure, you know, pro, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, it's not just like get through this assessment, get the report out, move to the next assessment, get the report out. It's like, oh, I have these long-term goals and objectives, and I'm going to be hiring some people next year, so I got to work on that. Yeah, so uh, it's a it's a different world um, as far as the uh, yeah, that whole thing's considered. <laughs> we'll, we'll go back to the corporate life. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's, it's not a bad thing. But yeah. Well, good. Well, I, you know, keep us surprised as always, um, and we'll we'll see everybody online. Um, Ken, is there anything else? I mean, we're headed to you know, uh, somewhere at not Melbourne, the Australia. There, there you go, Australia. Yeah. In a no, couple weeks. Only, yeah. only a sixteen-hour flight. It's going to be super well, enjoyable. No, longer than that. <laughs> yeah. From California, it's a 16 hour flight. Yeah. yeah. From here, I so I think total the travel is going to be like 24 hours there and like 27 hours back. But I've convinced Seth to keep his body okay and to upgrade his ticket because I was like, hey, man, you need to be able to lie down for those long flights. And last year, when he didn't and he flew, flew a middle seat in economy, he was so oh screwed up from that. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Like, it took him so long to recover. He's just like, his body took such a beating. So I was like, dude. And he nope. did, to Seth's credit, he was like, all right, you're right. Like, I'm, not, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that was a, it, it didn't take that much convincing because I, I started thinking <laughs> about, oh man, that was, a, that was hell. Yeah, that is the long yeah. The thing, the way I look at it is, if you invest in good travel, then you're more likely and less hesitant to. So you're more likely to accept offers to travel and less hesitant to just sort of not like try and submit, you know, CFTs or CFPs, whatever you want. So like, it's it's it really is an investment in your like self, but it's hard to look at it like that when you look at cash. But if you can afford it, then it definitely is, you know. It's, it maybe feels like a luxury, but it's, I look at it as a, seriously like a, uh, an investment in your in yourself. Your sanity, yeah, exactly. And, and just like to, 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 to continue to, to do business well, right? Like, I mean, you know, for you as a consultant, for me, it's just training, which isn't really a business. But, well, I mean, you know what I mean? It's not my business. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and also, there is, you can have a business from that, but that's not my business. So Another quick travel, quick travel hack. If you don't book business class, first class, whatever, with your ticket, don't always commit the first time to upgrade when you see the price because it fluctuates, at least on United. It's like every huge. day. Yes, huge. It just, it just fluctuates. One day it'll be 3,000, next day it'll be 1,600, the next day it'll be eight, and then it'll go back up and it'll go back down. So that's, dude, I was having that whole conversation with Mike McCabe because I was like, dude, if you look at it, it will, it, it does exactly what you, and, and you'll know 
why it went up because if somebody buys one ticket boom if somebody buys if two different people buy a ticket boom back up but then you let they have that cool off period i think it's like yep. 48 to 72 hours and then you like you're you're back down to usually like the second tier and you know i mean you you'll eventually get down to what you said which is the yeah. cheapest one so you got to figure out like you said that the, the sort of the cheapest in between and then find the and, and that's how i do it because i mean you can get for like a few hundred bucks versus a few thousand bucks it's that serious yeah. yep Right. That's my last. That's my last. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're, we're <laughs> so, way so, over. so we're gonna have a new like uh, a new spinoff series. That's travel hacks by Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, thanks for coming on again. I really appreciate it. We can't wait to have you on again. I mean, I know you're gonna cook up some good stuff, and you always do, and you always have the good stuff to talk about. And you, you're just a guy who like really embraces technology and security and the next thing, and like you know, kind of constantly picking things apart and figuring out you know, hacks and stuff like that. So your research is always fun. We appreciate you coming on. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I don't, I know this isn't a hobby for everyone. I'm one of those weird people where this is like, <laughs> I enjoy it. I work and it's, it's my hobby. Uh, but, uh, yeah, man, it's, it, I love, I love the show. You guys know I'm, I'm like a super fan. I, wa I, I watch or listen every week. I'm always posting photos of the, the car play. Uh, and now that I have a commute, it's like even more, I'm like, anxious for more podcasts to come out. Uh, so uh, no, I, I'm very grateful to, to be on again. Uh, love the show. So. Appreciate it. All right. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks everybody. Thanks for joining tonight. Um, and yeah, we'll catch everybody online. Enjoy the hour and 40 minute podcast this week. So you broke a record. Absolute AppSec at night. Right. <laughs> Oh, we missed last week, so it's made up for it. All right. Ciao. If I can figure out how to end the broadcast. <laughs>